you would, turn in the Bible to Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. Last week we heard a great sermon from Pastor Jake Beatty as he preached on the second half of chapter 4, still dealing with the opposition that is coming, the attacks We know that they are now under this great burden to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah is this fantastic leader. We're going to find out today that he's actually the governor now of of Judea and, uh, I mean, of Judah. And um, and, uh, there's opposition to the work, all right? For as great of a story as it is, God has given this man conviction and burden, and God has raised him up, and he's doing what he can. There's still a lot of obstacles. We get to chapter five and the obstacles come a little bit differently. Instead of them being all external, now there's obstacles from the inside. And that's all too familiar, isn't it? Whether it be in a church, on a team, in a family, there can be division and strife in the middle of us that stops or limits the progress. I know you've heard before this great expression, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I like that. I think that helps us think through ministry. I think that helps us think through being people that communicate love and who have a a message to tell. We want people to believe us when we tell them that. But we also need to understand that if we have acted wrongly toward them or indifferently toward them or even unjust toward them, then they're probably not going to believe us. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We might be able to spin that and say, if you don't care, they don't believe it. I think that fits. In our passage today, we are gonna see how Nehemiah is burdened for integrity. And it is because of the way Nehemiah believes in God fears God, lives his life and operates out of that healthy fear of God, that faith that causes him to do everything that he does. Nehemiah chapter five is a great passage for us. Several weeks back in chapter two, when we really saw this start to unfold, the sermon that day had three points. And you'll remember these because I mentioned them a couple weeks in a row. Number one was carrying a burden through life. Remember I'd said that Nehemiah had been praying over this and sitting on this for four months. It wasn't just one bad day where he was really burdened. He had to live his life with that burden. The second point was trusting God while burdened. You're not allowed to just go and pout and quit and and be done living obediently when it gets hard and you wait till everything gets better and then you jump back into the mix. God won't allow us to do that. So we see Nehemiah moving forward, even though it's hard, even though it's not pretty, but trusting God while he's burdened. And then lastly, I said, faith-driven determination to make a difference. And we see Nehemiah say, I'm gonna believe God, I'm gonna trust God, and even though this looks like the hardest hill to climb, even though it looks like all the odds are stacked against us, I'm gonna proceed in doing what God has led me to do. 
a faith-driven determination to make a difference. Well, now he's well into the middle of it. We have seen God grant him success. He prayed for that in chapter one. He prayed, God, grant me success. God did it. He is now there. He's, gotten, he, he's made it. He's formed a team. Remember, we've been seeing all that. We're, we're now to the fifth chapter. God has opened doors, and he is blessing Nehemiah and the work, and they are rebuilding the walls, and then opposition comes. And then today at chapter five, the opposition comes from the inside. Today's message is gonna be a call for us to care about what's going on in the lives of others. And today's message is gonna be a a, a call for us to act with integrity. Act with integrity as we seek to make a difference for that which we care about. Read with me, if you will, chapter five of Nehemiah. 19 verses. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took, count, I took counsel with myself And I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep his promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor and in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. 
I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land. And all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. This is yet another passage that would get overlooked and neglected were we not willing to take the time to devote ourselves to it. This is a narrative, it's a story that you and I are loving and growing to love. It's one that we've been drawn in by, haven't we? Even as I took the long time to read those 19 verses, it seems to me, if I've got a good feel for it, that many of you sit there captivated by that, don't you? I know that's where I'm at. I'm captivated by this story and the real significance and application and relevance that it has to my life and to our lives in this day. That's the way the word of God is. Church, you ought to believe that with every bit of faith that you have. Little Old Testament books and stories like Nehemiah are the inspired word of God and God will use it for profiting us in our faith. He will make you and I into better men and women of God. He will make us into people of integrity, walking by faith because of the fear of God when we submit ourselves to his word and to his truth. May he be doing that even now, today, through Nehemiah 5. The first point I have for us this morning is caring about the needs of others. Church, we must be caring people. We don't need a big, elaborate, technical word here. The little four-letter word, C-A-R-E, ought to be a value of ours. You should care about the needs of people around you. Starting first with your brothers and sisters in the faith, that we are the family of God and we matter to each other, and extending also to the rest of the world and the needs around us. In a day where so many people don't know how to care for each other, may we be a bright shining light set on a hill like a spotlight that says, those people care, amen? May it be the case that we are caring people and Nehemiah, for all of the incredible leadership that he has, for all of the pressure that is on him, for all of the countless responsibilities that he carries, like so many people in the world, Nehemiah has as big of a godly heart as you could picture. He cares about what's going on. We see him caring because he is listening to the cries of those around him. The passage begins by saying there was a great outcry in verse one. Verse two, followed by verse three, followed by verse four, tells us three different cries or complaints. Now remember, the enemy is attacking, is attacking from the outside. This is complaints and cries happening, happening from the inside. These are their people that are now crying out. 
And Nehemiah is not over in his office, out of touch with the people. Nehemiah is not living up his luxurious life while his people suffer. Nehemiah is in the mix with eyes and ears open, caring about what's going on in the life of his people. What a beautiful witness this is. We must have a sincere heart toward others and their situations and their struggles. In verse 2, here's what they're crying out about. With our sons and our daughters, we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. In the midst of all this that's going on, now there is also a famine. There is a lack of supply of food. It could be that there's not enough food, also coupled with, because this injustice is going on that we're about to see, that has doubled the issue of there's not enough food. Some people have food, but they're keeping it from the other people. It's an issue. That's the first outcry. Verse three. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our houses to get grain because of the famine. And you can see how this is going. The rich are getting richer at the oppression of the poor people. There are people that just don't have food. And in order for them to get some food, the rich people are saying, well, give me your car and I'll, and I'll give you some food. Give me your house and I'll give you some food. And, then it, and it gets even worse. Look at verse four. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are, are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it for other men of our fields and our vineyards. They've had to give up all their stuff. They had to mortgage their stuff just to be able to get food. And when they ran out of their stuff, they had to start giving away their family members into a type of slavery just to be able to eat. And they're crying out about this. I want to be careful here, but it made me think about how hard it is living today. And Fairdale is a really, really small area, and South Louisville is a really, really small area. But in our little iPad database right now, we have over 2,200 households that come through here on a regular basis to get food. And there may be a little pushback that says, well, not all of them need food. Maybe. But there aren't a lot of people in the world signing up to just get a box of food to survive. If you're willing to come sit through a line in the heat, you might need some food. Very similar situation in that there are needy people around. And our passage today unfolds that they're crying out about that, and Nehemiah is bothered by it. The key here, I think, in, in him caring about their needs is that Nehemiah knows God. And so he knows how God feels about people. He knows how God's people are supposed to feel about people. Nehemiah cares because these people are not being treated the way God would have them to be treated. It is the very rule of Jesus. We are taught that it is the golden rule from Jesus that you treat people the way you want them to treat you. You may not be hungry. You may not be struggling to pay your bills. But if you ever were by the mercy of God, you would want somebody to care. You would. If we are in such a position that we are not in need like that, may we bow our knee instead of beating our chest. May we humble ourselves instead of priding ourselves. And may we thank God for his provision in our lives. God is a provider. I thank God that his ways teach us to save money, his ways teach us to be wise, 
But may we never take pride for it ourselves, so much so that we then look down on people. It's a really bad situation. Now, there's a lot going on here because is it just hard times? Is there a lack of food? Or is it this project of rebuilding the wall that is contributing to this so much? You know, I was thinking about this weeks ago. I started thinking about, like, what if we had some major project like this in, in Fairdale? What if we decided that we were going to build, rebuild the walls around Fairdale, all the way from Keys Ferry over to Outer Loop, all the way to National Turnpike, all the way to Coral Ridge? We were going to build walls all the way around Fairdale, right? We, were gonna do, we would never do that. But let's just say that we were doing that. I was saying, and I said, could we rally the troops and get everybody together and rebuild these walls? And you know what was the first thing that came to my mind? We don't have time to do that. Because in going to do that, we'd have to neglect our jobs, wouldn't we? Every one of you would have to make a decision. Okay, do I go work on the wall today? Or do I go to work today? And as soon as you go to work on the wall and you don't go to work, then you don't get paid. And as soon as you're not getting paid, then you're not able to buy the food, right? You understand? And so I think what's going on here in this passage is that all of that stuff is contributing together. That's why we hear the families are crying out and the wives are crying out. Like, hey, we love this project, Nehemiah, and we're glad that we're doing this. And this is a good thing for God. But we're suffering over here. And in our suffering of having no food, now we're having to mortgage our houses. So now we're trying to get food to stay alive, but now we don't even have a house to live. And in the middle of all that, they're giving this heavy interest on it. And so the debt is just growing and growing and growing. Our stress is growing and growing and growing. The tensions are growing and growing and growing. And guess what? We're trying to do something for God now, but we're not happy in, we're not happy in it. We're miserable. We're stressed out of our minds. This is not what I signed up for. And they're crying out about that. The Church History Study Bible, quoting the Dutch annotation, says, This dearth and distress of the people may partly have risen from the fact that all the while this building lasted, they were constrained to omit and neglect the taking care of being able to lay up in storage for their own families. And partly because through the fear of the enemy, they could not go fetch in provision from things that were abroad. Makes sense, doesn't it? But what is the bigger point in this passage is that Nehemiah, the governor, cares about that. Church, may we feel that. If there are people out there crying out because of how hard life is and they're trying hard to make ends meet, we should care about the needs of others Nehemiah is concerned about the reputation of God's people. We've seen that chapter after chapter. But why? Because the reputation of the people of God is closely tied to God's reputation. The people of God bringing reproach on themselves means bringing reproach on God. If the people who bear the name of Christ will live wrongly and sinfully and pridefully and ungodly, they will not have integrity. Then we know, we know, we know that there is going to be no power through the Holy Spirit working in us to be a witness to him. And the way we care about the needs of others speaks to this. Now hearing that quote there about the reproach on us becomes a reproach to God takes me back to 
the qualifications of a minister in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus, which, ironically, we taught on this week in men's and women's Bible study. In those passages, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, the only places in the Bible where you have qualifications for a minister, for a pastor, elder, the first thing mentioned, they must be above reproach. A reproach is anything negative, anything wrong, any fault that you could say about the person. They must be above that. It is clear in the Bible that leaders, pastors need to be above reproach, which means if you are not going to represent God well, if you're going to make God look bad and bring reproach upon his holy name, then you cannot and should not be in the ministry. In our passage today, we see Nehemiah living out being above reproach. We see Nehemiah living out, caring about the needs of others. And before we start objecting and pushing back about why we don't have to be that way, I want to remind you that it is the beautiful good news of the Bible that Jesus cares for you. The Bible teaches us that. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, Cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Before you start negotiating why you care for people or why you don't have to care for people or justifying your hard heart or all of that, may you be reminded that you are needy before God and that he cares. You know absolutely that Jesus was holy, right? We don't like the expression holier than thou. We don't like the expression holier than thou because it's always a hypocritical way to treat somebody. But in the case of Jesus, he was holier than thou. He is holier than me and you. And if there was ever a guy who said, they're sinful and I'm not, I'm gonna stay away from them, Jesus was the one. But even in his fine example, as the savior of the world, he cares for us. In our sins and in our suffering and in our waywardness, he cares. I love the prodigal son story where the son is rehearsing what he's gonna say on his way back and the father is there looking for his son and comes running to him because he cares about the suffering and the lostness that he had. A couple weeks back before we started, Nehemiah, I preached on the Mary and Martha passage. You remember that? You remember Martha crying out to Jesus, do you not care about what I'm going through? To which I reminded you, oh, he cares. Church, today, would you believe that God cares for you? And would you turn from your sins and say, have mercy on me, God? Would you welcome God into your life as a Lord and Savior, trusting in him because he cares for you? And because of our faith in Christ, may we care about the needs of others. May we truly live out. We care because we are cared for. Nehemiah does that. That's number one. Caring about the needs of others. But number two, caring enough to do something about it. And quite honestly, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? We've all said that somebody means well before, but how they proceeded from meaning well was not a good thing. Right? We've all seen that before. They're doing something that's not good, but we say, but they mean well, and we're trying to back up and turn something not good into something good. Well, the Bible has us to understand that we care, and then we care enough to do something about it. Look down here at verse 6. 
Nehemiah 5, 6. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. Everybody see that? Nehemiah, the governor, is angry that this is happening. He's not angry that they're complaining. And man, is that a good sign of a good leader, isn't it? He's not angry that they're complaining. He's angry over the issue that caused the outcry. That's good. That's good. If you're short-fused, if you're hot-headed, if you can't handle the responsibility, when the complaints rise, you just blow up on everybody. I'm sick and tired of everybody acting like this, loud in here, yelling, all it is complaints or whatever. Nehemiah doesn't do that. Nehemiah is level-headed enough, balanced enough in trusting in God that he hears their cry, he listens to what is the injustice, what's the situation, and he gets angry about that. The Bible says he, he was very angry. You know, I think, that there is such a thing as a good anger or even a godly anger. We struggle to see it, but the Bible teaches us that, right? Everybody knows about the one time that the Bible tells us that Jesus got angry and he did not sin. He cleansed the temple, right? It's hard for us to process what must that have been like, but the Bible does say that. And even in Ephesians, the Bible kind of tells us, be angry and do not sin, what we are to get from this is that there are some things in life that ought to upset us. There are some things in life that you ought to go, that's not right. Something should be done about that. This is not honoring God. They should not be treated that way. This is not good. And we should bother us. There should be a righteous or a zealous anger, an indignation that comes up in us. Godly anger, as one commentator says, is that which pertains to God and for his glory. And a good, righteous anger seeks to put an end to wrongdoing and injustice. Nehemiah not only cared, but as we know already through five chapters of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is going to do something about the problem. And we love that about him. Look at verse 7 of chapter 5. I took counsel with myself. That's, that's a very level-headed thing. He did not act rashly. He went back and processed it. He thought about it. I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. He goes to them, to the problem. He didn't just blast everybody out loud. He didn't hold a press conference to get everybody involved. He talks specifically to them. You're exacting interest, each from his brother, and I held a great assembly against them. And I said to them, we, as far as we were able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. Hey, don't miss this. The whole history of the people of God is because of their disobedience, the whole nation found themselves in slavery. Everybody remembers that, right? That's the book of Exodus. That's the, uh, that's the Exodus story. Anybody who's ever been a Jew in the history of the world knows that in our heritage, in our history, we have a huge reproach against us. We so badly disobeyed God and did not listen to him that we found our entire nation in slavery being treated so wrongly. And it took the miracles of God for them to get out of that. And Nehemiah brings up here and says, we just got ourselves out of slavery and now you guys are willingly putting slavery back on your own people. It's not right. Nehemiah is a brilliant leader. 
when Nehemiah confronts them on this, look at the end of verse nine, they were silent and they could not find a word to say. Nehemiah was so pinpoint accurate that when he called them out, there was nothing they could say. Verse nine, so I said the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Nehemiah goes here to the place that I'm so thankful he goes. He gets to the heart of integrity. I did the pastoral prayer time today on integrity to kind of help us think through this. What is the good kind of simple man common definition of integrity that everybody uses? It is the one who does the right thing when nobody's looking, right? Everybody knows that basic definition of integrity. It's doing the right thing when nobody's looking. Well, it's the believer in God. It is the Christian who knows when nobody's looking, the most important eyes of all are on me, right? When I'm alone at my house on a Friday night, you guys don't have a clue what I do. But you know who does? My Father in heaven. Do you remember in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, your father sees? He doesn't use it in that way, but it, it applies. He uses that, hey, your father sees what you're dealing with. Your father sees what you're going through. Your father sees that you're suffering. Your father sees of what you're dealing with. Integrity is, I do what I do, not to see if you'll like it, not to see if you'll like it, not to see if you think I'm a good man, not to see if you think I'm a good dad, not to see if you think I'm a good husband. No, 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 that's not integrity. Integrity is, I do what I do because my maker, the one who loves me and cares for me and sent his son to die for me, the one that I will stand before one day soon and very soon, the judge of all creation, the righteous judge is gonna look me in the eye one day and talk to me about that. Integrity says, I will proceed in my life based on what he thinks. Nehemiah knows that. And when all of this injustice is going on and all of this crookedness is going on, Nehemiah brings up, shouldn't you do what the fear of God tells you to do? He says that there in verse nine. The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? Shouldn't you be treating your people and dealing with a famine and dealing with the tension of this giant project of, of, of the wall through trusting in God? Shouldn't you believe him and walk in obedience? Shouldn't you cry out to him and ask for his help instead of turning it into a crooked way? Nehemiah here is incredible. He's doing something about it. What he does then is he calls them, and you remember reading it just a few minutes ago, he calls them, we're gonna stop doing this wrong stuff. Now there are Old Testament rules that teach them when they can tax and when they can't, when they can uh, exact interest and when they shouldn't exact interest. All of that's there, okay? But then he tells them that we're gonna give it back and here's what we're gonna do. He includes himself on that, which is an incredible mark of leadership. And then he says, I want you to promise, they promised. Then he says, I'm gonna get the priests involved to make sure you promise, <laughs> make sure the priests hear your promise, the priests are gonna promise then we're gonna keep our promise and we're gonna treat people right. Nehemiah speaks to, I care and I'm gonna do something about it. Commentator Bet says, Christians who care about the needs of others see the needs, they listen to the concerns and they do not ignore them. True concern for others may begin with an emotion but it is always accompanied with an action. 
He goes on to say, anger is an appropriate but not a sufficient response. Emotional distress is a great sentence here. Listen to this. Emotional distress was followed by intellectual reflection, which in turn led to practical action. He felt angry about these problems. He went and thought about it carefully and intellectually. He processed it, and that led to good action. Church, may we be those type of people. May we think about what's wrong with our world? What's wrong? What's the problem? What are the cries? What are the needs around us? May we spend time seeking the Lord for his wisdom and discernment. What can I do here? What would be helpful here? How can we make a difference? What would be some of the solution? And then we proceed. Matthew Henry says, this was a great scandal. This was a reproach to the leader's profession. They were supposed to be the people of God and they are acting wrongly. He says, nothing exposes religion more to the reproach of its enemies than the worldliness and hard-heartedness of those that profess it. When the world knows that we aren't godly, when the world knows that we're fake and judgmental and condemning and prideful, and we lack integrity, they don't for a second consider that God might be real. They are absolutely affirmed. It's like a pat on the back. Continue in your unbelief. Nehemiah does not want that to be the case with him. Nehemiah wants to live it out. He wants to be a part of obedience to God. He wants to be the ambassadors for God in the world. He wants to make people know that God is real. He loves, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, that there really was a cross and there really is an empty tomb and there really was a savior, a sinless savior that died for our sins. And so he wants his concern, his care, and he wants his action to be a proof of that. Now, as you all know, I don't have a, a Facebook. My wife does, but I don't have one. So I don't get to see what is written on the I Am Fairdale pages, and I don't get to see what's written on I Am Dixie Highway pages. Thank the Lord. <laughs> and I know that I'm not as sane as I used to be. I'm dealing with that and learning. But I am sure that part of the sanity that I still have is because I don't get to read all the comments that everybody around South Louisville makes. Here's why I say that. I had been hearing for a couple years now lots and lots of negatives about the comments and the discussion that go on about homeless people and a certain homeless person around here. I know that that's a complicated issue. We've talked about that before. Bear with me on this illustration. And that's all I knew. I had not seen that stuff on the Facebook pages. But I had heard about it. But then about a year ago, a lady pulled up here at church. She introduced herself to me. She said, my name is such and such, and I belong to such and such a church here in the South End. I loved that. I love it when churches help other churches. She said that we have a ministry that we do, and the name of the ministry is called Friends Without Addresses. You get it? Friends Without Addresses. That's a very nice way of saying a homeless person. She said, I'd like to take you and introduce you to this one particular person. 
And she did. I got in the car with her. She took me to where this person was. We sat and talked. I had heard of so many people commenting about that person online. Perhaps it was justified, I don't know. That's not the point here today. But I was impressed, even impacted. That was a year ago and I'm still thinking about it. That it was her that taught me that. By one lady who was trying to put her action to her care. By one lady who had a concern for why people are in the situation that they are and saying, I'm not just going to sit here and comment on somebody I've never talked to, I've never spoken with, I've never heard their story, I don't know what's going on. And she was doing it. She even had a a name that sounds a hundred times better than the name that I use when I say those homeless people. She had a name that was called Friends Without Addresses. Even the care in wording it that way ministered to me. In that moment, I was reminded on the spot from a real life example of the teaching of Jesus of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you recall that one? It's a story that Jesus tells of all the religious people that kept walking by the person that was needy in the street. Jesus so beautifully does not tell us the needy person in the street story. He doesn't tell us why they were in that position. But he tells us what the real neighbor was like. He cared. Nehemiah models for us caring for the needs of others and then putting action with it. Church, may we hear loud and clear. James, the brother of Jesus, with fire in his bones, say to the church in the first century, faith without works is dead. And may you and I say, I want to walk what I talk. I want to live out the way my Savior lived it out. I want to live faithfully for the one who died for me, Jesus. Number one, Nehemiah cared for the needs of others. Number two, he cared enough to do something about it. And then lastly, caring and helping with integrity. Caring and helping with integrity. Nehemiah makes it very clear here that Nehemiah does what he does because of God. You can't miss this in the study. Nehemiah was a believer. Nehemiah trusted. Nehemiah prayed a lot. We've already seen lots of his prayers. Why did he do everything that he did? Why did he proceed? Because of God. And that is our answer to the why question. Anytime something comes up, why do we do what we do in our faith? Our answer is God. The Bible teaches us that because of God's lordship over our lives and the saving grace that he's given to us, we now live that out. We just sang a song that said over and over again that Jesus is my life, my whole life. He's my everything, my mornings, my evenings, my relationships, my friends, my enemies, my money, my life, my free time, my lusts, everything. Jesus is the center of it, and I take my sins to him, and he forgives me, and I take my obedience to him, and he's glorified in it. Jesus is the center of life. To get that wrong is to get every bit of it wrong. If we're gonna be people that take this religion seriously in caring and helping, we must do it with integrity. But the way we see Nehemiah acting isn't always the case, and we know this. Sadly, Unfortunately, 
Christians and churches can be disobedient. And in our Bible, especially in the prophets, we get God speaking directly to that. And I want to show you an example of this. Zechariah chapter 7. It's at the very end of your Old Testament. If you can find it, I'm going to read five verses. If not, then just listen up. We're almost finished here. Nehemiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 8. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. So God is telling Zechariah to tell the people. Verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart, end quote. That is the message that God gave to Zechariah to tell his people. That's the message, okay? And they didn't listen. Look at verse 12 and verse 11. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had, had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus, the land they left was desolate so that no one went to and fro and the pleasant land was made desolate. When God told the people to care the right way and act in the right way out of their care, they did not listen, they hardened their hearts, they disobeyed God. The Bible even uses a unique phrase, they made their hearts diamond hard, as hard as it could possibly get against the ways of God. And it is a strong, strong warning to every child of God who bears the name of God that if you are going to say you follow Christ, do not disobey him in that way. He will disobey you. He will turn on you. He will judge you. We see that there. It's a warning passage. It's a scary passage. But the reason why I bring that up is because Nehemiah knows this. Nehemiah knows that this is the case, and you get Nehemiah going, not on my watch, not in my life. May we live out this hypocrisy and this arrogance. Church, there are churches all over the place, and Christianity and its representation, for better or for worse, is all over the place. But in our small little world and in each of your little circles, may the truth of God grip you and say, I want to be a person of integrity. And when I bear the name of Jesus as the savior of my soul and the one who forgives my sins, I want to go and walk out a life that says, I will live for him. Because of the fear of God, this is how we act. Look back at Nehemiah 5. Look back at Nehemiah 5. It tells us that he's the governor in verse 14. It says that he's now been there 12 years. This is taking longer than I think all of them thought at the beginning. Verse 15, he's talking about uh, the way he's proceeding. And at the end of verse 15, he says, I do what I do because of the fear of God. What a statement. Commentator Betts says, to be effective in serving others, believers must be people of integrity. They must practice what they preach if, they, if we are to have an impact for the kingdom of Christ, people must not only hear our message, 
but they must also see it genuinely lived out in our lives daily. We read earlier, Matt McBroom did, that passage from Luke 23. And that's such a real passage that I think y'all were really engaged. It kind of felt like everybody was listening there, didn't it? About Jesus being rejected and crucified on the cross and about there being people on the side, two, one on each side, and them mocking him. You remember that? And it was a long thing. Matt had to read from, I think, verse 26 to verse 43. It was a long passage. But do you remember the question that the one criminal said to the other criminal? He's mocking him. He's insulting him. They're all three hanging there crucified. They're all three hours away from death. And they're saying things like, yeah, right, you're a savior. Yeah, right, you're God. If you really were the savior, why don't you save us? And they're saying that. I mean, just the height of sinfulness. They're saying that to Jesus. Do you recall what the one criminal said to the other criminal? I've often tried to show what that might have been like, but they probably couldn't even have leaned that far. They probably couldn't even have seen each other. They were literally suffering to death. But the Bible tells us that he said to the other criminal, do you not fear God? Church, that's our MO. We fear God. Not in a crazy bad way. We're mature enough to know the fear of God. In a Proverbs 9.10 way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In a way that says, that's my father. What he desires for me is good for me. In a way that says, he loves me so much, I just want him to be honored. When a criminal says to another criminal, do you not fear God? We should feel that in our bones. We do fear God. We need more of this. In regards to how we talk about God, do you not fear God? In regards to how we treat people, do you not fear God? In regards to our marriages and the way our wives feel, do you not fear God? In regards to our children and the discipling that the Bible clearly says, if God gives us children, we are to disciple them, do we not fear God? In the way that we treat those around us, do you not fear God? In the ways that we are with our money or our lack of money, do you not fear God? In the ways that we take seriously faith and obedience and Christianity and prayer and church and these things, do we not fear God? In regards to how we love and serve each other, do you not fear God? with the lostness around us and the needs for the people in our lives to know Jesus and escape hell and be forgiven and not be judged? Do we not fear God? Do these things matter to us? Do the truth of God matter to us? Nehemiah in a day where nobody else operated off of fearing God did, and God used him mightily. As true followers of Christ's church, may we fear God. May we trust him with all of our hearts. May we care about the needs of others. And then may we proceed to action because we want to serve him and represent him faithfully. People that have received grace ought to be gracious people. People who have been shown mercy ought to be those that show mercy. People that are forgiven should be forgiving people. And people who are loved by God for all eternity ought to be loving people.
through COVID with our food pantry. Ms. Tish Harden and, and our food pantry has received a lot of attention. There have been a lot of people coming and, and doing things and writing stories. There's been some articles online written. There's been some newspaper articles written about the food pantry and just the needs. People are fascinated by it. Nobody's getting paid to do any of this food pantry. It's all volunteer work, and it's really fascinating. And just a couple of weeks ago, there was another group here. This was over a a marketing campaign for Dare to Care. They were simply just taking pictures so they could try to raise more money for Dare to Care, not for us. So they wanted to interview us. And they asked all these questions. How do you think the people feel? You know, what do you think about this? And how many do y'all do? I mean, just all those general questions. But at the end, they asked the question that they've asked us every time, whether it had been Wave 3 here in Louisville, whether it had been Courier Journal, whether it had been some online thing. They've all asked a question similar to this. Why do y'all do this? That's like throwing a bone to a dog. That's like a softball pitch to, to us. And I'm glad they asked that question. And I've gotten where from memory with sincerity of heart, I will say, Jesus Christ has made such a lasting impact in our lives that we want him to make a lasting impact in their lives through us. Church, if you walk out of these doors today saying you're a Christian, be one. Live for God. Live for God. Fear God and proceed with obedience. Care about the needs of others. Care enough to do something about the needs of others. But do it with integrity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Nehemiah 5. And just, we are continually impressed with Nehemiah. God, we want to be like him. But Father, it was a different time and a different situation, and he's this wealthy governor that's now proceeding like that. We're in a very different setting. But the the same motivation applies. Do you not fear God? Father, we pray today that you would work deeply in our hearts and give us this heart for you. Father, we pray again, make us people of integrity. Father, we pray again, make us those that are above reproach. Father, we pray again, forgive us of our sins and humble us. God, may we be a church and may we be people that care. And may those we minister to believe it. God, we ask for you to work in our hearts. Strengthen us to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.